0: McIntyre's Methadone, small-batch artisanal methadone for the discerning junkie, is now a proud sponsor of the Dopey podcast. McIntyre's Methadone guarantees a profound respite from the epic withdrawal process. Our research shows that 9 out of 10 dope fiends choose McIntyre's over mainstream methadone. We make kicking fun and flavorful. It comes in purple people-pleaser... Benzo Berry Bonanza and Five Melon Fandango Fizz. And for a limited time only, receive a personalized vomit bucket and washcloth.
1: McIntyre's. Crafting the world's finest methadone, one take home at a
0: time. This episode of Dopey is brought to you by our friends at Allo Recovery Center in sunny Southern California. Located in Malibu and Silver Lake, Aloe is an amazing treatment center designed to take care of addicts by treating them with compassion, not control. There are so many good things about, about Aloe, I don't know where to start. I'm going to start with the fact that they make a detox that is comfortable if you're a fucked up junkie or alcoholic or pillhead. If you're scared of the detox, Aloe seems to uh, really, really make sure that the detox is is as comfortable as possible. Another amazing thing about Aloe is that they have over 675 years of combined experience from their staff. They know what they're doing. My favorite thing about Aloe besides the comfortable detox are the amazing amenities. They have a sweat lodge. They have sound bath meditation. They have surfing. Aloe seems like a great place to go. They take you to meetings if you wanna go. If you don't wanna go, you don't have to go. If you're fucked and you wanna get help, and you're a drug addict and you're willing to go to California, I would totally consider going to Allo. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by listeners like you, the Dopey Nation. If you want to help out with the show, go to www.patreon.com slash podcast. Give what you can, if you can, if you want to. Give a buck, give two, give 50, give a $1,000 a month if you feel like it, because your money helps make Dopey better. It helps me with equipment, it helps me with stickers, it helps me pay people if I have to, and um, it just helps. But if you don't want to pay, you don't have to pay. If you guys are after Dopey stickers, Venmo me. If you're after uh, Dopey hats, you do the same. If you want a t-shirt, you go to www.dopeypodcast.com. And coming soon, finally, the long-awaited DopeyCon. There is more information coming, but enough with the ads, here is the show. Hello and welcome to Dopey, the podcast about drugs, addiction and dumb shit And I'm Dave and uh, we have a big show, we've got a bunch of guests, a lot of stuff is happening But before we start, my dad uh, was very upset after the last episode with Aurora Where uh, I said some things that got him very heated and he wanted to call in. So dad, are you still feeling heated or is it past? Is it too late at night for you to be heated now?
2: Well, it's way too late at night for me to even be angry, and it's—I uh, was angry. I was really angry. I mean, holy cow! You—you—you you, you, you gave me a one-star review. Just wait, hold, it, up, it, hold, up, hold, it, hold up, hold
0: up, hold up, hold up. You weren't really angry though. You should have seen him. He—he he came over to the house. Basically, what happened was he heard the episode with Aurora, and what did I say exactly?
2: Well, you—you you, you said that I make fun of when you're fooling around trying to find things to say because you don't have it in front of you and then and then you said that i i, I criticize aurora for saying you know you know and uh, and and
0: well, then dad you dad dad both, both of those things are totally true though both of those things i don't even yeah. remember saying them the you know thing i remember saying and you always used to get angry when i didn't know what i was doing and, and you hear me mixing around for stuff you always criticize that stuff so what's not true
2: no that, that those were, those were true the the thing that wasn't true was you said i had a big ego and you thought that i that i knew everything there was to know about about podcasting and which of course i
1: don't, and well, you don't ha- have you
0: do have you have you you have a big a very a, a decent sized ego, and the way you talk about podcasting, you would assume that you think that. But I know that you don't know much about podcasting, and you know that well, that's for sure. But you do yeah. also think that you must know more than I do because that's just naturally how you get.
2: Well, when you're fooling around trying to find what to say, I mean that doesn't sound like a <laughs> professional <laughs> podcaster. <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, I hate and, to tell you this, but I'm I'm an incredibly professional podcaster.
2: Yeah, holy cow, amazing. And by the way, Aurora was terrific last week. She didn't really say, you know, you know, you know. She didn't say that at all. But then what about that one-star review you made up? The, and you said, the, you know, get rid of uh, the old, well, I'm not going to repeat what you said. Uh, anyway, it was pretty awful, even though you made it up and it wasn't true, Correct.
0: What, what I what oh I said that uh, there was a review saying get rid of the old Jew we're tired of hearing him on the show.
2: Yeah right. Yeah. You think that was a nice thing to say?
0: Well, I was trying to make your the appearance this time be a better appearance. That's I was trying to give you some some fuel for the fire. Uh, well, I'm, tr- I'm trying to help no, yeah, you out. You got me.
2: You got me really angry except except nobody in the Doby Nation even commented about any of this stuff. I guess I was the only one who was angry.
0: And and what did, I, and and what did your friend I, Seymour say when he heard it?
2: Uh, he thought that you guys were right. <laughs> but 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 listen, I'm 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 the underdog here. I mean, you you keep taking advantage of me. That's why the doby Nation likes me because you 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 go too hard on me. That's that's the truth. You know that's the truth. in any case, but there is some serious stuff that you mentioned in the last episode that uh, that that I wanted to say, even though it's serious, not joking, about about when you and Aurora are talking about. Uh, being well the word i'm using is being triggered in other words she talked about wanting to drink and you were talking about how wonderful marijuana that's that's scary for a a parent like me i mean that doesn't make me feel so great uh even though you tried to backtrack at the end What, what do you think about that
0: i don't think i tried to backtrack i think um I think most addicts in recovery. I mean, I don't want to have this conversation with you, really. But it's just that most yeah, addicts... I mean, right. you, you. I mean, you know nothing. That's you know difficult. nothing about this. Because though. this
2: is serious, right?
0: No, it's just you don't. I mean, like, did you feel triggered to smoke weed or drink when you heard that, Dad?
2: Who me? Yeah. No. Not well.
1: No. Of I mean, I mean
0: you can't be. You're not an addict. The the reason I'll I'll tell you, I don't love um, a lot of twelve step talk on the show. Particularly, I like a little, and I like a little bit of recovery talk. But whenever I feel like it goes real far into the recovery talk, I like to talk about the addiction part because um, I, I just don't like the way the recovery part sounds like on a podcast. Like I just... know,
2: but I understand. But you made it sound—you made it sound uh, too good. Uh, in terms of of wanting to to drink or wanting to smoke marijuana,
0: but you have to uh, deal with the, it's the reality of of what my life was like, and if I was yes. you know stoned for you know twenty four years or something, like obviously it had a pull on me and and to not to not acknowledge that wouldn't necessarily be honest. I also said that my life is a million times better now than it was smoking weed or doing heroin or pills or whatever that my life Now is way more fun and exciting than it was then. I said that, you know, I just said that I liked smoking weed and that with weed legalization, maybe it it triggers me a tiny bit, but not to the point of actually doing it. But I think it's it's important just to uh, put it out there. And I think that that's something that that the listeners have in common. And you don't have that in common with the listeners.
2: No, 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 no. I mean, you, well, when Aurora was talking, I almost felt like I should go find a bar somewhere, but of course I didn't. (laughs) I mean, I I don't... Do that.
0: What did Aurora uh, say? She said she wanted to smoke cigarettes and drink chilled red wine. That was appealing to you?
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, well, I don't want to smoke cigarettes. Chilled red wine is okay. I mean, that's not a problem. Uh, but listen, it turns out there's some people that do smoke marijuana that, and obviously and they and they and they have uh, decent lives, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's just people that can't handle it. That's a major, major problem, a big problem, um, and that's what uh, that's the horror, horror about
0: addiction. I'm really happy uh, that you're no. such that you're such an expert about this stuff and I think I that am not I, an think, I think
2: see, again, I think Again, you're making up these, these, com- first of all, what would tell me about what's this thing about DopeyCon? What, what is that all about that, that I'm not allowed to go to it also? Just, uh, just
0: relax. Hold on for a second. Before we go there, I, I don't want to talk about your concerns about me triggering the Dopey Nation. Dopey Nation, oh, if good. you feel, right. if you feel triggered by the last, oh yes, uh, there were a few comments that were like on the borderline that ah. we were trigger- triggering, but like, come on, you know, it's like life, life is life and you, you got to get through it. Um. But And DopeyCon, it looks like it's happening. It looks like DopeyCon is coming, actually, to your neighborhood, Dad, uh, the first yeah. weekend in October, probably. But before we talk about DopeyCon, and I'm going to get you off the show in a second, I have to say right. that um, next week is the 200th episode of Dopey. Does that excite you, Dad? Yeah, that's
2: it's amazing. Yes, yes.
0: For the last... Yeah, and uh, What?
2: Go ahead, I'm sorry.
0: What are you going to say?
2: I was going to say, the iTunes are back, right? The reviews are back. Everything it seems to be uh, going strong on that.
0: Well, I mean, there's been a few reviews since then, but Dopey Nation just make my dad happy and put reviews on iTunes, right, Dad?
2: Yeah, it was a terrible two weeks when they took it off. It was just awful. Uh, you have to regain your prominence on the iTunes. Oh, yeah,
0: Dad, tell them, tell them about your problem with the iTunes.
2: Well, for week after week after week, under if you typed in drug recovery, dopey would come up all ten in a row. All ten. Dopey, all ten.
0: And now? And
2: uh, and now uh, this Omar guy has two, and you got you have eight.
0: So we have eight out of ten, I mean, and, and, and you're no way, and that you're that criticizing. Two days ago. If we don't have all what? ten, you got problems. You're saying we need to well, have ten out of ten.
2: Absolutely, and and I, you can see that the 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 one the dopey episodes that were listed in the top ten weren't the recent one. It wasn't one ninety eight nine one ninety seven. In other words, that was when there was when they weren't able to 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 you know to see it. This is you trying so, to anyway. this is
0: you trying to read the iTunes tea leaves. Like you have any idea of what they're doing, right? i have no clue what they're doing the question i have for you dad is do you think that omar's father is yelling at omar this dopey character has eight out of the ten drug rehab things and you should get more do you think that's happening to omar right now
2: i doubt it yes no i doubt it i'm 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 a very interested father
0: i'll yes, tell I'm, you i i listen to uh i'm to, involved i listen to what? david sedaris right you know david sedaris
2: Oh I heard him on the radio yeah i just actually I just heard him on the radio, yeah,
0: David Sedaris is this brilliant writer and and he t- he writes a lot about his father, and he says that uh when he does a concert, his father goes to the concert. And, uh, and David Sedaris will sell out these huge amphitheaters, and uh, his father, who I think his name is Lou Sedaris, will go to the concert and count the number of empty seats. And then after the show, he'll say, David, I thought this was sold out, but there are 30 empty seats. And it kind of That's reminds right. me of, of this with you, with the, that two spots were not mine on the drug whatever well, thing. It-
2: well, to, to listen. It turns out that on the radio that I did hear this guy's name, David Sedaris. His father is 96 now and in a nursing home in North Carolina, and not not doing so well.
0: And still so nudging, and still and, and still nudging poor he's not David. Not counting
2: empty seats anymore.
0: All right. Well, he lived a nice life, Lou Sedaris, and and yeah. uh, and our hopes and and best wishes go out to Lou Sedaris. Um, but the point of the thing is that I didn't get to say is that next episode is the 200th episode, which coincides with Chris's birthday. So we call it uh, Christmas. The first dopey holiday is Christmas because we miss Chris. And I want you guys to send in very short 200-episode Christmas submissions. You guys did it for the 100th episode. I'm talking about, like, between 5 seconds and 30 seconds. Just a nice Christmas wish or a happy 200th episode so we can play a bunch of them on the show. Doesn't that sound nice, Dad? Yeah, that sounds terrific. You like to hear all these uh, the messages from the Dopey Nation. What's your favorite part of the show, Dad? What, what do you like?
2: Uh, I like the reviews. I like the voicemails. I like when they send in when they send in uh, you know in, you know information, uh, and I like to hear that they're being helped.
0: True or false? Your I favorite think. part of the show is when they say they like you.
2: False.
0: All right. Well, you know who's coming on next? A, a guy I went to high school with, um, and, and you don't even know him. He was a year younger than me. He wound up as a heroin addict, and now he works in a methadone clinic. His name is Jesse. So check it out. He's from.
2: Do you want me to stay on the phone or can I go to sleep?
0: You can go to sleep. Here's Jesse. Thank you, Dad. All right.
2: Good night, and uh, good night to
0: Dopey Nation. Okay. So, very exciting guest, or I mean, exciting to me. I think I think I say every guest is an exciting guest, but <laughs> but but this is a very exciting guest to me. He's been on the show before. Uh, his name is Jesse. Him and I have actually been in each other's lives for a long time. Uh we went to high school together but we weren't particularly friends. So welcome back to the show, Jesse. Thanks.
3: Thanks, man. Um yeah, we uh we like kind of ran like in very like close circles, but I don't think we intersected a lot. So.
0: No, but we I, I remember I would say yeah. hello to you, but like yeah. the craziest thing is that I felt like um when Chris and I started making the show, you know, it always felt like nobody listened or whatever. Uh, it just felt like that. And we would hear from people, but they would be strangers. So they might as well not have actually existed. And then I got an email from Jesse. Um, and I think Chris read it first and then I saw it and Jesse figured out that, uh, we had gone to the same high school because of this game that we played. Right. Yeah. Yeah. With that killer. Yeah. And and tell them about killer. Tell them about killer. So,
3: yeah, it was like, um, I just remember you organized into teams and you had those little plastic guns that those that shot those like discs, those little plastic discs. Yes. And um, you had to like, you know, you were assigned other teams you had to kill, but it couldn't happen on school grounds um but people got really insane about it like two girls from the school i remember showed up at my house on like a saturday morning in queens and told my mother that their car had broken down and could they come in and use (laughs) her phone you know this is like obviously in the days before cell phones and like i just i remember like sitting at the breakfast like Table in the kitchen in like my boxers and like two girls from high school like walk into the kitchen and just like gun me down with <laughs> plastic discs.
0: I love that.
3: That's great. Like, what the fuck? My mother was like, What the fuck is going on? You know?
0: That happened to Jim. Jim, Jim was like taking a shit in his mother's house. And uh, and and Brian, Big Brian, you know the Rankster, mm. showed up at uh, at Jim's house and and was close with Jim's mom. Jim's mom let him in. Brian goes to the back of the house, finds Jim on the toilet, and just blasts <laughs> him. And Jim like didn't want to talk to Brian again. Jim just just <laughs> recently, like twenty years later, like forgave Brian for this. And and just
3: he got him like fucking John Travolta and fucking. Pulp fiction style.
0: Exactly. I mean, so, so what we're talking about, this game that we played in high school, I mean, I thought it was like literally one of the best experiences I had in my life. And, and basically all of New York City is uh, is, is inbounds. The only place yeah. that's not inbounds, like Jesse said, was the block of our high school. You played 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I think it was for two weeks, except mm. the only time you were free was when school was on lunch. So you could travel freely at lunchtime, but yeah. any other hour of any other day, anywhere that wasn't on our high school block. You could be gunned down unceremoniously. Um, Mm -hmm. and I remember, you know, my favorite thing, I remember there's this dude from Queens, Allen, and I knew he took the E train. So I waited at 51st street behind a pillar and I just waited and waited. And then I saw him (laughs) and I jumped out and I shot him and I shot him in the face. Um, And it was like the most satisfying thing that's ever. I mean, I have two kids. I I, I have a nice life. But shooting Alan in the face on Fifty First Street was like the greatest that still thing.
3: Might be the crowning achievement.
0: It was so satisfying, you know. And then I remember, I remember one day there were all these, and, and yeah, like what Jesse said is like a round robin of teams, and you you're you're against both teams on either side of the circle, if that makes sense. And when a team gets eliminated, you you play the next team. And I remember. Mm-hmm our team was dying and I was at school and, uh, and I, I managed to sneak away and all these people were waiting for me and I managed to sneak away. And then when I got home, you know, I lived on, uh, in Chelsea at my dad's house on, on the 21st floor. And when the elevator opened up at the 21st floor, there were four guys standing on my dad's floor, blasting me in the elevator <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And and I was so upset. Right. And I ran Mm -hmm. into the house. Right. And I was like, fuck you guys, you know, and I ran into the house and I closed the door and I called up Robbie to tell him to come to wait for them downstairs to kill them. And I invited them in and I gave them food and stuff. Then I tried to get someone to come and kill them, but it didn't work.
3: (laughs) yeah it was like well that was i think one of the biggest i mean it ties into like what made our high school awesome was that kind of like manhattan was became like your playground you know going to that school and it was like the kind of the amount of freedom from like middle school on you know you were just riding the subway running around central park you know i mean i just remember like if the school had a dance, it meant you all met there and then went to Central Park and, like, lit up a Duraflame log and smoked joints and drank
0: 40s. And, and wine you know. coolers. I drank wine yeah. coolers at the dances. <laughs> but let me ask you this.
3: You know, in those days, you could do that. Like, nobody, like, cops would walk right past you and they didn't give a shit. No. You know? yeah, no, It I was mean, a very different time in New York City. then.
0: If anything, we were just at risk of getting beaten up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like we were in yeah. the park. We were in, you know, uptown past Ninety Seventh Street on the East Side, which could be mm-hmm. dangerous at that point. Um, it was dangerous, you know, all the time. Like people like targeted our. We went to this very nerdy school, and uh, and we were targeted by by like weird gangs. If that, if, oh yeah, like the Decepticons, man. Mm-hmm. You remember yeah, that?
3: And, like it was the height of like the I mean, I remember showing up in the morning in the schoolyard and the janitor sweeping all like the it was back when crack came in the glass vials still. And he'd be sweeping all the crack vials out of the uh, schoolyard because people would like use it the I guess it was kind of enclosed and they'd use the schoolyard to smoke crack at night.
0: Well, here's the question. The que- I mean, I know that when I played Killer I was not getting high, you know, I, I was, uh, I was, I think I, I started playing killer when I was in 10th grade and I, I played <clears throat> through senior year. And I think that when we played killer, like I started smoking pot at the end of senior year kind of thing, but you had a much different trajectory, right?
3: Oh, I mean, I think I was smoking weed and drinking probably by like, Sophomore year of high school, I think, but not like heavily heavily, you know it was more it was pretty innocent, i think um at that point anyway um by senior year, there was a lot you know um but nothing like nothing beyond you know the recreational shit you know it was pretty it was still pretty tame
0: well to um, to, to 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 kind of spell out the the thing you know i I always never know how to build these kinds of stories properly, mm-hmm. but Jesse. Uh, just celebrated 10 years clean of heroin. So congratulations.
3: Thanks. That's yeah. Yeah. 10 years sober. It's fucking crazy.
0: Clean and sober fucking 10 years, which is something to be very, very proud of. If Chris was here, he would be banging the vape against the desk <laughs> That's right. Um, and I would be That's clapping right. instead of holding a speaker in my hand.
3: Uh, I appreciate it, man. Thanks. It's, uh, you know, I don't know if I if, if celebrated, you mean like ate a pint of ice cream and watched Three episodes of Deadwood, or something—that's <laughs> about that's what the celebration consisted
0: of. But Wait, did you eat what kind of ice cream? What, you ate a pint of ice cream. What did you eat? Uh, I
3: think it was Cherry Garcia. Oh, well, there you go. That's still, that's still my go-to. Um,
0: that sounds like I'm celebration really to me. But what I yeah. really want to know is—is is when? How did it go? I think we covered. You were on the show a long time ago, and and Chris mm-hmm. and I were actually in the Hamptons when you were on the show. Um, that's right, that's right. And um, I remember you told a little bit about the story of uh, of how you went from innocent uh, drinking and weed smoking to total oblivion and fucking your life up. But why don't you do a crash course for anybody that didn't hear you?
3: Yeah, I mean, it was a while ago. It was probably one of the earlier episodes. Um, Definitely. Yeah, I mean, I... Like I said, in high school it was pretty uh, pretty tame. I mean, it was pretty much usual kind of partying shit. And then beginning of college, um, I went to upstate New York, up in uh, Albany, and that was pretty much just like there wasn't a lot to do. If you've ever been to Albany, it's pretty much like a wintry hellhole where you just drink and do drugs. Um, at least that's what I did there, you know. And uh, I mean, it was it was so textbook. It went from like you know, the drinking in the pot to a lot, a lot, a lot of acid. And then, um, it was sometime freshman year where somebody like came to me with, like we were kind of on this mission, like wanted to just try everything we could get our hands on. You know, it was just a total garbage head. And someone came to me with like the prospect of like a heroin connection. And I remember being kind of like, I don't know, <laughs> you know, like being kind of thrown by it at first and then, uh, just being like, fuck it. You know, I'm, I'll try anything once, you know? Um,
0: do you remember, do I you remember never, that night? Like what happened that night? I do. It was this
3: chick named, her name was Abby. I might've talked about this the first time, but I, everyone just called her Abby. we called her Abby, the junkie. Um, and, uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I would, it's probably a 50, 50 shot of her still being alive. I mean, she was, she was, you know, um, pretty hardcore already at that point, you know? And, um, she, she picked up for us and, it, you know, she picked up like one bag for me and my friend to split. And I just remember we each snorted half a bag and, you know, I mean, we, these were our, our virgin opioid receptors <laughs> like sucking that stuff up. So I remember getting nicely high, you know, and, and just, I remember feeling like, like, this is like, you know, I've been trying like all the drugs and it's like, you know, try the rest. Now you can try the best kind of
1: thing. <laughs> I yeah. was
3: like, this is, this is what I've been looking for. And i like, and just being like, it was perfect you know i hear other stories about people using and and throwing up and maybe it was that i only used a little maybe it was that i only snorted half a bag and like
0: it was just you and abby the junkie on the first bag you
3: no know, it was me and her and my friend mike um who i'm still friends with and who's uh you know who's who's not sober but he's not afflicted you know um and uh we're still you know we're still uh you know we still talk to this day but um So it was yeah it was the three of us and you know she was shooting it but we were you know then that that was like probably the only and maybe one of like two times in my life I ever sniffed though. was that really (laughs) the very next day we were like so we need more you know let's let's get more and she used to score down in Alphabet City so I wrote a bus with her down to Alphabet City and she showed me like where she would score down on like it was like Avenue C and like 7th Street or something at that point. Right. Um And so like bang right there now I already knew how to like how and where to cop and uh and from then on it was like then that night she showed me how to shoot up. Wow. So the
0: second night you were shooting up that was it.
3: Yeah. I went like straight from, like, that first snip to, like, shooting up the next night. And uh, and then I, th- I want to say it was, like, a couple weeks later, she showed up at my dorm room and was, like, a buddy of hers, like, some kid, friend of hers had overdosed, and she was convinced that the cops were after her because she had given him the dope. And so she had, like, a whole bunch of bundles of dope, and she was like, can I keep these here? You can do as
0: much as you want.
3: Wow and I was like, yeah, sure, of
0: course. It, even, yeah. even now, like, I'm coming up on four years clean, and I, I haven't done heroin in probably seven or eight bags, but hearing that some girl was like, let me leave a few bundles in your room, <laughs> yeah. it sounds like an opportunity to me now. You know what I mean? And it's like, that. that's how fucked you up. I that
3: never happened again.
0: <laughs> right, of course. It doesn't happen. I mean, no. I, I remember I had dealers who would, like, have me... Like I was part of like a Methodonian dope co-op where one of us would buy all the dope and then parcel it out and, and every kind of week it would change. And uh and, and they and they like once somebody fronted me like I don't know, like I wanna say like five bundles. And I just like I think the guy got locked up or something and um and I just didn't call him and he never came back. You know, it's like just weird like when there's dope on hand and you i don't know it it happens once mm-hmm. in a while especially when you're every, around
3: yeah, every you. so often the universe just just throws you something it
0: throws you the um. end of your life you know um, <laughs> so how long did it take because uh, you're a kid you know you're in college how long did it take for this to turn into like a real habit
3: It was like almost instantaneous. Like by the time I got through those, those bundles and I had already been using for a couple of weeks. So at this point I was like, I I remember like my first dope sick was like the last night of being at up there and like everyone in, like I was in one of those like dorm suites, you know, and everybody else had already moved out and my mother was coming up to pick me up the next day. And, uh, I had like, I was like trying to pack and I had run out of dope and I was like, I didn't like, it was that experience where like the first time I was ever like dope sick. And I was like, I mean, it's, uh, I just remember it was like, you know, that emptiness and just the physical awfulness and like a couple of people came to visit me like friends can like stopped by and were like, just couldn't figure out what the hell was wrong with me, you know? And, uh, Cause you didn't tell them. Yeah. I mean, I think some people, well, the fun, actually one of the funny things is like, I remember in the beginning when I started like not being as aware as like, I probably should have been of like, most people aren't cool with like, I remember telling people like, "Oh, I found this new like I started trying heroin and it's awesome. You should try it." And people would be like, "You're out of your fucking mind." <laughs> you know, like I just didn't like I I took it really lightly and didn't like I, you know like when I got home for that summer I was still using. You know, one of the first things I did was take the train into Manhattan and score. You know, and uh, I remember trying to get like you know, friends from Hunter to like use with me. And like, they were like no fucking way. You know? <laughs> well, of course Which is I'm crazy because a lot of those same people, like one of them is dead now from an overdose. And, uh, most of them ended up using at one point or another.
0: Yeah. I, I had convinced a bunch of my friends from high school to try it, you know, and they, they all mm-hmm. did it like once except Jeremy, Jeremy did a ton of it. Uh, but he wound up not getting addicted. And, um, And and it makes me think of of this thing. I know that like when I had found it, I had the exact same reaction, which was this is going to solve my problems. I'm going to feel I'm going to feel the way I want to feel like the now I have arrived kind of moment. And um, but the other thing I thought was like like I was trying to say before, Jesse and I went to this very, very nerdy school And, like, people don't do heroin in the school we went to. And did you realize, like you were going down a path that was not, I mean, you, you, I, I started at that school when I was four years old and like a bunch of us in that school were just idiots who managed to like manipulate the school into letting us stay and stuff. But Jesse got in in seventh grade when you actually have to be smart. So you were like a really smart kid. Like, were you reflecting on like how, you know, how, like what was happening, like the difference in your life? What was that experience like?
3: I think a little bit. I think, I don't think it hit me right away. I think yeah, it started to hit me when things started to get bad and like things, you know, I mean, things got bad quick. Like I was, you know, my, I was in rehab by the time I was, you know, 18, Okay, like that, by the end of that summer, <laughs> from freshman year, I was in some like, you know, some bullshit outpatient program, like, you know, people figured out what was going on, but I, I, just kept using on, uh, you know, on and off probably until I was like 21. I think I ended up like, cause I kept, I started getting caught a lot. Um, Julian, it was when Giuliani got elected and like just started arresting everybody. And, and it was like, you know, I, it used to have, it used to be such a beautiful experience, like the, like going down to the Lower East Side and copping and like, going to one of the little polish places and using and I'd eat a plate of pierogies and, right. like, and it felt like i had this charmed existence.
0: You're living you know? the life. And you're uh, living you're living like a life that's in a book. Basically.
3: Yeah, and I, I definitely romanticized it. I mean, in the in the lamest like stupidest way, you know, like reading fucking burrows and like thinking there was some sort of like deep edginess to to what i was doing and and writing in journals and all the stupid shit. That, well, like,
0: I mean, know. like, it it was stupid because the cost was so much greater than you had imagined. It was yeah. edgy. It was beautiful, but it also was, like, toppling your whole fucking world. You know, it was all of <laughs> those right, things. You're right, you're right.
3: I mean, I'm sure the, the writing was, was pretty atrocious. You know, I, I don't think <laughs> I have any of those journals anymore.
0: But but meanwhile, but you was, you know, like, I mean, you know I'm you have some books, can... Jesse, you have some book in your mom's house or your dad's house, and if you got your hands on it and you sent it into fucking you know little black press or something, you have the fucking next junkie on your hands. You don't even realize that the, the, the yeah. what you have there. No, yeah, it's not some, possible. Some
3: fucking um, yeah, like eighteen-year-old junkies scribblings. See, yeah, I think you're too
0: hard, hard on yourself. I think I think you probably have something there. I mean, I'm being stupid right now, but I have a hmm. feeling like. I think you're very hard on yourself. No, no, that's true. I, and, and part of it is,
3: you know, there's also, I mean, I, there was, there was a, there was definitely like, there's an undeniable beauty about being young and high and bulletproof, you know, and back then you were shooting actual dope and it wasn't all fucked up with fentanyl, you know, which is just the fentanyl's just, Killing people left and right. Well, the dope right
0: the dope was killing people too, though. You know, the, like people would get yeah. their hands on a good batch and it would kill them. It just it's like true. way less, way, way less. Yeah. Um, now, before we go down some road of, of serious junkie glorification, uh, when did it get really bad? Like what was the really bad part?
3: Well, yeah, I mean, getting arrested and spending nights in, you know, dope sick in the tombs underneath, you know, down under the courthouses was, pretty fucking awful. Um, You know, I ended up um, kind of like disconnecting from my family for about a year. And I moved back upstate New York to like couch surf amongst people that I knew who were like still in college, (laughs) just their junkie friends who was now like staying on their couch and kind of like, you know, didn't fully understand, like, you know, how out of place I was, you know, and, um, it was, you know, I mean, everybody had those people around, you know, like every, I think every like house full of college kids at one point or another had some junky dude staying on their
0: <laughs> Yeah. And you're like, I don't want to be like and, that guy. You know? Yeah. And I was that guy. I
3: mean, I didn't have, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't fucking hold a job you know and i i looked like shit and um you know the weird thing was that i kind of got it together a little you know i i, I kind of hit a wall and a bottom you know a mini bottom like the last time i got locked up um you know i never did anything you know it was all just like little misdemeanor tickets in in manhattan and uh you know so i never like ended up doing time or anything um but i just kind of like hit a a breaking point where I was able to stop for a while. Um, but I didn't get sober. I just stopped doing dope.
0: Um, and you drank and stuff after that.
3: And then I just drank. And, and like, I honestly like part of the worst period of my life was like, I, I mean, I became a really bad alcoholic. Most of my twenties were spent embarrassing myself with alcohol. Yeah. Um, it was really, you know, like I, I would, my alcohol bottoms um, were as were really as bad as any of my dope bottoms.
0: It sounds like they might have
3: uh, been worse.
0: In, in a lot of ways, they
3: are. I think, you know, alcohol is like, I, you know, I mean, dope took me to low places and horrible misery, but like alcohol you just debase yourself. Like I have so many regrets and like embarrassments and just like things I'd love to take back or like go back in time and reverse that all stem from alcohol, you know? Right. Um, I was just, you know, I was a really good drinker until I wasn't, you know, and then I got, I seemed to get worse and worse at it. And, uh,
0: you know, I was, was never
3: good at stopping, but
0: right. Uh, What's interesting to me is you're forty four now? I'm assuming, right? Mm-hmm. So you got clean when you were thirty four, and I mm-hmm. think um, I think Chris died when he was he was just about to turn thirty four. So mm-hmm. so what was it? What was it that made you turn a corner at that point? Like what was the final frontier of of using or drinking or whatever, or where you were at? Like what was it? Well,
3: the first like sometime right around right after I turned thirty. I, I, you know, I ended up, um, you know, without, you know, there was, it was all just basically booze and Coke and I was just bottoming out with that, you know, just drinking around the clock and, um, you know, just living just a, a, a shit life. You know, I think I had moved back in with my parents at that point. Um, you know, just really just miserable and, um, I think it was probably, yeah, it was like maybe I must've been 30 because I remember I was still drinking on my 30th birthday, but it wasn't that long after that I ended up like in some sort of like blackout state. I attempted, I tried basically attempted suicide seriously enough that they ended up locking me up in a,
0: what did you
3: do in Brooklyn? What's that? What did you do? I sliced my wrists open. Um, I still have really ugly scars from it and I did it like, you know, the proper way. Right. Um, but thankfully it didn't, didn't take, yeah. I just remember being so empty inside, like it dried up. Like I, I, I was, I remember passing out sort of, I I remember waking up and being disappointed that like, that it didn't work, you know? Yeah. Um, and my friend, I was at a friend's house and like, you know, like left, like their living room rug, completely soaked in blood. I was like supposed to be crashing on their couch. And, uh, like all I said when they like woke me up and were like taking me to the hospital was like, Oh, I guess that's why people do it in the bathtub. Like that was all I could think about was like, why did it clot up? Like, why didn't it, didn't I bleed out? Right. Right. And who Um, found you?
0: It was a friend of mine. I was, it was
3: a, at a friend's house, and he lived with his girlfriend. I think his fucking poor girlfriend found me.
0: You know, she's in therapy right now, saying, "And I found." She's this a
3: psychiatrist, guy. actually.
0: So. <laughs> right. So maybe you like were the turning. You were the turning point in her life as well.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, I was. Uh, you know, I, and so that I ended up like in a psych ward, and they pretty quickly determined that I was an alcoholic. And so they refused to let me go unless they were sending me directly to a treatment, you know, place. And, uh, they, I actually ended up going right from there to mountainside.
0: Oh my Um, God. I forgot about that. Yeah. I forgot about that crazy Um, coincidence. You know,
3: I mean, it's a pretty awesome experience. You know, it's, it's like, you know, it's the rehab, like most people kind of wish they could go to This was, I mean, this was like two
0: thousand five, two thousand six. I guess I'm trying to think. You know, Mountainside. Uh, Mountainside is super up in Dopey's business right now, and it looks oh, like really? it looks like Mountainside is going to be the home of the first DopeyCon. So you saying how good Mountainside is is a is a real boon for the show.
3: <laughs> there you go, and I can vouch that I have had no uh, coaching.
0: on <laughs> That's funny. That's so
3: random. Yeah, no, I've I have no affiliation. um except that I went there twice. Um, you know, they, they have a bunch of my money, but other than that, um, you know, and, and it was you know, I, it's like, it looks like they really souped the place up. It wasn't quite as fancy back then. Um, but it was like, it was my first experience ever with it. It was the first meeting I ever went to was there. And it was like, you know, I still remember walking into that big room for like the Friday night, it was a Friday and they had that big Friday night meeting.
0: Yeah, like the town meeting, AA yeah, meeting yeah, yeah, they yeah. had. Yeah.
3: yeah. And uh I was still wearing the same pants that were soaked in blood from wow. my friggin you know, tried to, and I was just like, I had this huge bandage on my arm and I just, I looked like a fucking, I can't even imagine what I looked like. I think you can you imagine
0: know? it. I mean, considering. <laughs> <laughs> I just
3: remember like people kind of looking at me and like giving me that like reassuring, like
0: it gets better look. And it's also <laughs> like that look of you're definitely, like, that you're definitely the right life, like, you're definitely in I the right place. You're definitely in the right place. Look.
3: I'd spent five days in detox and the, the antidepressants were kicking in and like, I felt good. Like, you know, it had been like, I hadn't gone five days without drinking probably since I was like 20, you know? Right. Um, and it was, uh, it, it felt fucking great, you know? And that was, and it didn't stick, you know, I went home and you know, I had to say I thought I would stay sober, but I did all the wrong. You know, I, I picked up a girlfriend there and did that whole thing. And, you know, I ended up kind of back where I where I started and ended up back there. And then.
0: Uh, why do you think, up, Jess, why do oh, you God. think like I know that like it's not the right thing to pick up the girlfriend in treatment, but like what a joyful thing that is to be all fucked up in treatment and somebody liking you. Right. Is that oh, like,
3: it's un- and you're like, your your emotions are all like coming back to you. And, and you guys have everything in the world in common because right. you're just going through exactly the same thing. Cause and, you're both as fucked you know, as you can be basically. Yeah. In two months, you realize you have nothing in common, but like at that moment, it's like, it's glorious. If they, I mean, I've never been so in love in my adult right. life. Right. If they know. could
0: bottle that shit, it's like, it's just an amazing, amazing thing, uh, huh. the rehab romance. And then, and then why is it so destructive?
3: You know, I think it's, yeah, I think it's like you don't know each other at all, you know, and you're so freaking raw. You, you have nothing to offer each other. Your, your lives are both a
0: mess. And, and you basically, uh. you count on the other person like you counted on drugs, basically.
3: Yeah, you instantly assign them, like, the position of your higher power, whatever, you know, right. <laughs> <You're> instantly <laughs> everything hinges on them, like, your whole day hinges on, like, seeing them in the morning at the breakfast, thing. you know, it's like, forget it, it's all over, once, you know... Um, and I made that mistake both times I went to mountainside.
0: Well, um, you know, but it's like, it's like, it's a glorious mistake. That's all I have to say about it. It's like, <laughs> it it's is. like you lived and you told the tale and like you got, yeah. to, I mean, it's like, it's bullshit. It's like being a kid. It's like fucking waking up and you're like 12 years old, but you're an adult. You know what I mean? It's, it's very, it um, really
3: is. Well, there's definitely an element of that to rehab, like. Like you know, there's an element of feeling like you're back in high school because you you have no responsibilities other than to like go to these groups and there's like activities for you.
0: Yeah, you're like making friends and playing volleyball. <laughs> yeah, and like shit.
3: people are feeding you and like you go outside and smoke a cigarette. It's just, I mean, it feels like you do feel like a kid again. Um,
0: and also, you get to meet. I mean, like I liked the fact that you're like stuck with these people that you never would have spoken to otherwise. I, I always it's got true, a kick yeah. out of that and, and everyone always made fun of me for it. But I, it also was like what you said about you don't have to do anything. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You're stuck in this place and nothing is expected of you besides eating, waking up and walking around. And I, you know, I, I liked my, my life stopping. Like that's why mm-hmm. I think I liked rehab because of that. Like, oh I, yeah, I love being free now, and I love working hard. I love supporting my family, but I would love my life to stop for twenty eight. Oh, I would love days. to go to rehab right now. Right?
3: Fuck Oh my god, I'd give anything to like go spend a month at Mountainside. That's, you know? that's uh, so
0: funny. That's so. And not funny. only
3: is nothing expected of you, but you like if you just do like and what they ask and like share in groups, you're a fucking all star. Like right. The, you get pats on the
0: back, yeah. you get like you good get good boy boys. good dog. Yeah. <laughs> Have another for piece really of really for
3: doing nothing, just for not fucking up. Yeah.
0: Right. That's <laughs> so funny. Oh my god. And then like so how how like uh before all that happened when you were like you didn't you didn't wind up bottoming out on dope at all. You bottomed down on alcohol. I did.
3: I, I actually well after that I ended up um coming back to dope. Cause basically what, I, what happened was I ended up moving to, from there, I ended up in New Haven at a sober house. Cause they had kind of like a, kind of a little channel to like these sober houses in yeah. New Haven. And I was like, well, I should not go back to New York city because that's been a problem for me. And like, you know, I, so I went and moved into some sober house in New Haven and, and I did pre. I mean, I stayed. I was sober about a year and a half, probably, you know, and I was, I was going to meetings and I was working in fucking Starbucks at night and yeah, just, you know, doing my thing. Um, and I was working in the, uh, Yale library during the day. And, um, and then I don't know, it just, it just didn't fucking work they that time put, for me. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I started drinking and smoking crack, um, because, uh, that was what was around, you know, I remember the first night going back, I went, I bought a bottle of vodka, you know, and just started kind of drinking enough to get my courage up. And then I got on my bicycle to ride into the hood. And within like 25 minutes, I was in a crack house, like smoking crack. And I ended up spending like the better part of the next year in this fucking crack house. (laughs) And, uh, and that's when like, the dope came back around, you know. I don't know, a few months in, you know. Of course, like,
0: do you remember any specific experiences in the crack house? Like, oh, it was like it, 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 that's the shit on that. Like,
3: the guy who ran it, or I don't know, it wasn't even like a had. It was like a fucking tiny little apartment that was like, you know, probably some Section Eight. Um, like, basically, like rooming house apartment that um this old guy winnie uh i don't know i guess it was his but there was always like the same five people there and uh he was uh like he was like this old kind of like he walked with a cane he had these like really nasty dreads like and he was always, he was always trying to fuck me. He was, always, <laughs> he was, he was like always trying to like, cause he always had tons of crack and he was like, always trying to like, you know, and I, I was, by the time I had a bad dope habit, like I didn't have a lot of money for crack, you know? And you so were, but you
0: were always trying. very handsome, Jesse. So you can't really blame him. He, he was always trying to, he
3: always wanted to suck my dick for crack. And like, it's actually the funny, I was, it was actually something I was thinking of when we were, when I knew I was going to uh, talk to you tonight was um, the compromise I came up with was I had like a flip phone with a camera and I took (laughs) a picture of my dick and I would let him see it if he would give me hits of crack.
0: Wow. (laughs) Like
3: every once in a while he'd be like, Jesse, let me see, let me see,
0: let me see the dick.
3: (laughs) I got to see that white dick. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and I'll break one off for you. So I'd like to show him this fucking picture on my flip phone and he'd give me crack fucking. And, uh, yeah. And that's where like, so that, yeah. And a guy started coming around with dope and there was always like, you know, a go between that would, that would go get it for me. And then eventually I, you know, managed to like create my own connections and, I don't know. The next thing you know, it was like nine months later and I was 50 pounds lighter and, you know, um, waiting outside a uh, public detox, you know, like a state detox.
0: Yeah. Um, The question, the reason I was asking that is because I was curious if methadone was ever part of your story when you were using. You know, it wasn't. I mean, other than like buying
3: bottles of methadone, you know. Um, I never went on a program, um, to, you know, to try and get cleaned. I remember when I went to detox, they were, they were trying to get me to go on because they had a program through the detox there and they were like, you know, they were like, you know, we can put you on a methadone program. And I was like, no, no, I want to go back to meetings. I'm going to, I know someone with a sober house that'll let me move in. And, um, I just remember them looking at me like, dude, this kid's going to die. This kid's got no chance."
0: But that's how you did it, right? You wound up doing it through meetings and and just like that, right? I did. I mean, listen, I, I don't like,
3: it was bad. I mean, I did like a five day detox and then spent the next month, you know, in that brutal, like post acute fucking withdrawal, like just sleeping maybe an hour and a half at a time. Yeah. You know, it just, And it was like mid July. It was so fucking hot. And like, I was in this ghetto sober house with no air conditioning. And I remember just like tossing in the fucking gross bed and Oh, Oh, it was fucking horrible. That's like one of those things that definitely like puts me, but whenever I get like, whenever I lose whatever fucking gratitude I do have, it's like, I look back on that and it, it definitely puts things in perspective.
0: Yeah. I mean, the reason I brought it up, and it's, and it's like I've been meaning to get Jesse to come back on forever. I didn't want to have him on the phone. I wanted to meet him in Manhattan, but you live in Westchester, right? So I'm in Connecticut. Oh, yeah. He's in Connecticut, yeah. and I'm on Long Island. And unless we take a ferry, and, and we both work crazy hours, it, it, we both have kids, and it's like we had to do it like this. But the reason that uh, I was just chomping at the bit to get you back on, besides the obvious reasons, was because... There was a lot of talk uh, about medicated assisted treatment, and uh, and my stupid take on it. And Jesse has been working in a methadone clinic for for how many years?
3: Uh, it's coming up on six years now, I think. Um, yeah, it's definitely it's over five years. I started there as as an intern through my school program, and then was hired on. So yeah, I've been, Dev. It's been almost six years. I've been been a counselor.
0: You've been almost on methadone. You've been on methadone (laughs) without drinking any for for six years. I've
3: been living and I've been spending all of my weekdays in a methadone clinic pretty much for the past five years. And I think, I
0: honestly (laughs) think, like, that's one of the reasons that you're so in touch with what it was like to be in uh, post-acute withdrawal. You know, like, like, I don't even think about it. You bringing it up, me seeing people in the street, me hearing from people on dopey me going to meetings, I can reflect on it, but like, Mm. you're fucking in the shit. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're seeing it on a daily basis.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, what, let me,
0: let's talk, you know, a little, you know, I had promised there was some fucking listener guy. I think his name was Patrick. I think he's given up the show, frankly, because Mm. I said I was going to have, um, uh, like a, a, I was going to have you on. I was going to have like an expert on, and instead I wound up having like Hannah, who was coming off methadone, and like, you know, I, and she was doing dope, and I had her on <laughs> instead of you. So why don't we talk a little bit about the ups and downs of uh, of medicated assisted treatment, like via methadone or suboxone, just a little bit. I don't want to put anybody to sleep out there, but like you are an expert. I, I was on methadone for. You know, somewhere between four and eight years, I can't really keep mm-hmm. track because I was on methadone and pills and stuff. Um, yeah. But when I was on methadone, I did not get on methadone to really clean up. I got on mm-hmm. methadone because I couldn't, I couldn't afford dope, and I didn't want to stop yeah. doing dope. I wanted to, like, keep my, my addiction alive because I, I didn't want to stop using, and I couldn't afford copping every day. And then I wound up copping every day anyway, but just a little mm-hmm. bit so I would feel something and then I would drink my dose, so for me, methadone became this you know a kind of like shackle to uh to to a methadone clinic you know to a life and mm-hmm. um and I was terrified of, of of going away from it, you know what I mean like I was terrified yeah. of not getting my take homes I was terrified of not being able. Uh, just whatever, like having a nightmare of, of forgetting to go and finding myself sick, like in some crazy, weird black mirror, surreal scenario where like it's three o'clock and I didn't get my methadone and I start feeling it, you know? Mm-hmm. So like, so what's your, I mean, like, obviously you see people every, you know, that run the gamut, which is why there is no real answer to the question of medication. Absolutely.
3: I mean, that's like you, when you said the ups and downs of that, that's, I mean, it's it, it is it runs the full spectrum. I mean, I can think of at least 20 clients off to rip that like I that are exactly how you describe yourself, that that they, they show up in order to like if they don't have enough money for enough dope in order to not be sick, you know, they're taking benzos, they're doing they're doing their thing. Um, but I've seen those guys turn it around, too. You know, I've, I've seen those guys like get to a point, you know, and, but then I have the other end of the spectrum is, you know, like, I don't know. We have a lot of blue collar guys that are making good money that are completely clean that, you know, are coming in for every two weeks, picking up their bottles, doing their thing, tapering their dose. Um, you know, strong recovery. We have guys that are super active in AA that are on, you know, that are on low doses of methadone. And the sad thing is they can't tell anybody about that because they know they'd be judged. Right. People would be like, you're you're not clean, whatever. Yeah. And I have friends from AA who'd still be alive today. If they'd given it a shot, you know, I can't say for sure, but I can say that they would have had a better chance. You know, um, I, it's, it wasn't for me, you know, which is something that, you know, I'm, I feel i in that regard. I didn't get to a point where I had to go there. You know, if I, I think if I, you know, if I hadn't had certain supports, if I hadn't had parents that were willing to front the first few weeks of rent at a sober house, um, you know, if I, if I hadn't had certain things go right in my life, I might've, you know, I might've ended up there and, and maybe I would've needed it. And it might've been the only thing that kept me alive until I was ready, you know, to get to where I needed to be. I mean, even with you, who knows if you hadn't been on it for those years, what might've
1: happened to you?
0: Well, that's what, that's what Chris always said about it. Like whenever Mm -hmm. I used to be kind of naively against it, because when I was on it, I was so not clean. Chris would always say, well, you don't know that you wouldn't have gotten clean if you hadn't have done the medicated assisted treatment when you did it. Um, yeah. the question I have is like these kind of guys who are on low doses, do they pine to be off of it? Are they just like, I wish I could just get off though.
3: There's, you know, there, there's such a spectrum. Like there's, I, I've worked with guys cause we, the clinic on that's been around a long time. Uh, you know, we have clients that have been on since like the late eighties, you know? Um, and some of them, you know, a guy who's in his mid sixties, And has been on 50 milligrams of methadone for the past 30 years. It's like, why the hell am I going to put my body through coming off of this? Right. You know, I come in once every two weeks. I pick up my medication. It's not that much different from having a a fucking prescription. You know, the funny thing with opiates, and methadone is just a synthetic opiate. You know, there's a lot of bullshit mythology around it about, you know, eating away bones and and stuff like that. But it's just
0: a fucking long-acting opiate. And opiates... Wait, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. It doesn't eat away your bones? (laughs) It does not. You know, I remember Uh, when I was kicking methadone, I had this thing with my knee and like, I would hear this clicking in my knee, like the joint clicking and, 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 all of the old methadonians would be like, Yeah, man, that's that methadone <laughs> getting in your joints. And uh and I and I decided that my my knee still clicks and I'm still like, Man, it's that methadone the I Yeah, you know, that methadone <laughs> it ate it away. No,
3: it it people just don't fucking take care of themselves and and you know, they don't eat right for years and years and years and, and they're probably walking around on a leg that's all fucked up. And uh, you know, and when when they start when they stop taking methadone, all of a sudden all that pain surfaces. But you know, um, opiates, aside from the fact that they'll kill you easily with an overdose, and they are super super addictive, are fairly low. I mean, they don't impact the body the way alcohol does or cocaine does or even like you know they're easier on your liver than Tylenol. You know, people who are. Um, long-term like Percocet abusers end up with fucked up livers. from Because of the acetaminophen, tylenol. right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. You know, so it's like as a medication, listen, I, I, you know, it ain't, it, listen, I, I, it ain't perfect. Right. There's obviously, you know, from personal experience, I mean, and I've, t- I mean, I've certainly taken plenty of it. I mean, it's an opiate, um, but
0: I think. I get it.
3: I get when what you're someone's saying. someone's doing it right. When someone's really doing it right, it's, it's fucking great. You know, like I see guys that are just like, and guys and girls that have just like their whole fucking life has turned around and they have a shot and it's like, I What kills me is when people got to put that down, you know, and I I hear about it from clients all the time that they, you know, they, they were going to meetings and then they had a sponsor and they told their sponsor they were on methadone and they got called out in a meeting or like, you know, or they were told that they couldn't share. And it's just like, you know, where the fuck do people get off, you know, and the guy who's telling them that they're not sober is some old fuck usually who's never even touched opiates and is, you know, just drank eight cups of coffee and is smoking cigarettes and,
0: you know, it's like, right. It's his, it's his trip. It's his fucking decision, you know, how he uh, perceives it. But the real question is Jess let's say you're one of these dudes, right. And you're on some kind of, you know, maintenance dose of methadone and you're in AA and you don't tell anybody because you don't want to get judged, but then you're also not working a totally then, yeah, honest program. Rigorous
3: honesty yeah. Thing.
0: It's fucked up. That's, it's like yeah, no man's it's, land. It,
3: it, it's it's, and I know it, it's got to eat away at people, you know, I mean, the, I, I look at it, you know, cause I've, I've had the conversation with clients and, you know, you got to leave it up to them, you know, and you know, the way I, the way I look at it personally, if it was me, I would feel like it's nobody's fucking business. It's, you know, you got people in, in AA that'll tell you you're not sober if you're on an antidepressant. So, um,
0: so what would you tell somebody who's like on a maintenance dose of methadone that's struggling, that wants to be in a 12-step group, but is worried about who they could tell? Who should they talk to? Somebody at the clinic? You know, somebody else who's on methadone working a program? Like, who do they talk to? Mm. You know... I think, I think if you, you know, I mean, you know,
3: kind of the same way I do that when you go to meetings, it takes a while to figure out who's, who's not full of shit, you know, and who you can talk to. And I think it's the kind of thing where, you know, once you develop a circle of friends, you know, and a fellowship of guys that you trust, you know, I I think only only an individual person can know when the the time is to share that kind of thing. But I think it's, I think it needs to be shared because I think people are dying like crazy. And I think people need to, you know, the stigma isn't going to go away until people start realizing how many people are on it. You know Um, there's so many clients I have that I'm like, dude, I wish, I wish I could tell, like I. I wish I could tell people you're on methadone, so they could be a poster like boy. To hold you up as an example right, of like, right. here's a dude who's like supporting his family, lives like a super like virtuous productive life, is on methadone, and you would never fucking know it. You would never know it, and right. uh, you know it's just people have a very fucked up perception. A lot of people don't understand opiate use to begin with, you know? I mean, most people even abusing opiates are not like, most of them are trying to use enough to like, that'll allow them to go to work. They're not like, you know, trying to nod out on a street corner. Right. Even when I was, when I was, I was shooting dope, I was going to work every fucking day. I I was never like a sloppy um, junkie. You know, I was like, I just wanted enough to like feel good, not be sick, be able to go through my day. I mean, I was fucking, you weren't, you weren't seeking out the nod though. No, I wasn't, I wasn't into that. I wanted to be, I wanted just the, that, that nice easy pleasurable feeling and i liked that kind of way you just glide through your day with like unlimited energy and like
0: but that no cha- thing, that that it. passes so fast you know once you start doing it i i, I would yeah, seek out i had like little techniques to catch a nod like i would read comics to catch a nod or i'd play guitar to <laughs> catch a nod or i would just do little things to to try to lose basically not be conscious of where i was and mm-hmm. um and and i have to say yeah, if you can fuck, I mean, all it's all about quality of your life and where you are with yourself. You know, if you feel good and you feel like your life is together and 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 you're living a free, happy life, by all means, do whatever that entails. You know, for me, yeah. I, I I was not working a, an honest methadone program or anything. And when I yeah. finally, you know, I was at like a hundred and I don't know anywhere. I don't, I don't know what I was doing. I think I was the most I was on was one hundred and fifty milligrams, and getting off. Uh, was like the greatest thing I ever did. Like it was just an accomplishment. And I knew that, yeah. And and when I got off of it, it was like, I just knew that I wasn't going to take it again because Mm -hmm. if I did, I don't know that I could have gotten off of it again, but I did wind up back on pills and back on heroin, you know? And I, and I just, uh, I didn't want to go back to a clinic because I, I was, I lived there. And I, I just felt like a little bit, I just felt a little bit like in, a bubble in a methadone clinic. And I don't think Mm -hmm. that I could have gotten clean that way. Um, like, like, I don't know. I don't think it was for me. And I'm not saying that it's not for anybody. I just, that's my experience. I just wanted you to share like your professional experience and, and tell both sides of it, which I think you did. And, um,
3: yeah, well, and I think, you know, I see, I feel the sides of it every day, you know, at, at the clinic and, I see, you know, like my basic take is it like, cause clients will come to me all the time. Like, I want to get off this shit. I don't want to be on it. And like, my job is not to keep anyone on methadone, but I just want to hear that they have another plan. You know, if their plan is to keep shooting dope, I can't, I can't stop that. But if they're still using and they're fucking around and they're like, I'm just gonna, I just want to come off. I'm like, well. Like, what's the fucking, what? so, so you're just going to use more, like you already can't afford what you're using now. So like, what, what's the, like my basic advice to anyone would be like, if it's working for you, don't let anyone fucking tell you that it's wrong, you know, that there's anything wrong with it. And if it's not working for you, like take an honest look at why it's not, you know, like, don't, it's really easy to like, people love to blame Inanimate things, you know, people like to blame AA when it doesn't work for them. People like to blame methanol when it doesn't work for them. But it's like, you know, own your, it's just like anything else own your fucking part and figure out what you
0: got to do. There it is. I think that's a beautiful message. And I'm glad you could come on, you know. And I'm glad we could celebrate your 10 years. And I'm glad you could tell the showing your dick to the crack dealer story. Like, (laughs) did you tell that? I don't think you told that story when you were on last time. No. Chris would have fucking. Chris would have like eaten out on that story. Like that story is like such a classic sort of Chris story. So I appreciate that. And I (laughs) also just
3: appreciate
0: definitely. And I also just appreciate like you being around. You know what I mean? I love it when we get to talk. And um, and I see you as like a a sort of like dopey fucking soldier out there in the fields, like knowing the deal, you know? And I, Mm -hmm. and I, and I love that, you know what I mean? And I love that we, you know, we went to the same school and like, we have a very similar experience and not many people have that experience. So I appreciate that. No,
3: I agree, man. And I, and I really appreciate you having me on. And definitely the show, the show has been like, the show has definitely helped me, man. Um, It's, it's definitely, you know, there's times, man, where it being, doing my job, being in recovery is not always easy because I'm not, I don't disclose at at my job, my job. I take, you know, I, I work on like a clinical level and I don't draw on my own experience outwardly. I don't tell clients I'm, you know, some of them know me, some of them recognize me, but they've been pretty good about, you know, keeping my shit under wraps. But like, you know, like, when I have clients that are like, no, nah, man, I don't want to go to that detox. That place is gross. And I'm like, I, I can't say like, dude, I went there. It's not, the fuck.
0: It's not that bad, <laughs> <laughs> no.
3: but so yeah, like this dopey has helped me. Like, I don't know, just kind of relive that. It, it's definitely, it, 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 served to, to help me. I don't know. In my recovery, It's it's been there for me in a really kind of important
0: way. Well, who'd sure. have thought that was possible, right? What a crazy yeah. thing that is, you know? And, I, I, th- and why, I think it's because it's so casual and still, like, very potent at the same time. That's my belief. I think so. Um, awesome, Jess. Thank you so much for coming on and, and being around. I really appreciate it. Thank you, man. Be well, all right? Yeah, be in touch. You're going to come to DopeyCon? I think it's the first Saturday in October, 18th Street, I think. Maybe not. (laughs)
3: That sounds awesome. I'm going to try and make
0: it. You have to come. You have to figure it out. But that—I mean—that's what we're thinking. You have to. You you have to be there. And uh, and Dopey Nation. It looks like it's going to be the first weekend in October. Uh, It looks like it's only going to be for like between seventy and hundred people. It's going to be in Manhattan. I'm not exactly sure where, but uh, Jesse, you have to go. Okay. And the other thing, I'm just going to say this really quick is it's going to be, it's going to be like a recorded dopey episode, but what it's really going to be, it's like, you know, the moth on NPR, Mm -hmm. it's going to be like the moth. It's going to be like between five and 10 people telling five and 10 minute stories, um, around drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. Nice. Yeah, and it's gonna be, and then there'll be questions and answers and stuff. So, if you want to tell a story at DopeyCon, we are currently taking submissions. So, (laughs) send in a story between five and ten minutes. Uh, You can write it or you can do a voicemail and tell me it's for DopeyCon, and uh, we're gonna select like twenty submissions, and then we're gonna randomly pull people out of a hat. So nobody like feels burned or anything when we're there. What do you think?
3: That sounds awesome. That's, uh, I, I didn't even realize that that was kind of what was going on. I love that idea.
0: Well, what am I going to do? Talk for an hour? Nobody wants to hear that shit. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like when Regis no, and Kathy I think Lee. Like that's
3: perfect because that's the spirit of the show. You know,
0: exactly, um, it, exactly. It should be it should be about the stories, and it's like nobody wants mm-hmm. to see like an interview in front of people. A conversation in front of people doesn't work. That's retarded. You know. Yeah. But I think the stories it's like special. And that's what we're about. You know, that's what addicts are about in and out of recovery. Mm-hmm. It's like, and that's what dopey was supposed to be about. So that that's what yeah. that's, the... and that's, you You know, you, we talked about rehab. I mean, you captured this, those, those early
3: episodes. That's what they did for me. They took me back to sitting out in the smoking area at rehab or in the sober house just telling fucking stupid war stories, you know? And there's, there's a, I mean, there's a joy in that and there's a, there's definitely a healing factor in that, you know, it may not be, you know, the most uh, sober thing in the world. It may not, you know, it may not, some people may not approve, um, but it fucking, I don't know, early in recovery, we need to get those stories out and we need to laugh at them.
0: Exactly. It's another way to take away the whole stigma of shame and self hatred Mm -hmm. and all that shit. You know, because it it was funny. Even when it wasn't funny, it was funny that we can talk about it, as far as Mm -hmm. I'm concerned. You know? And that's going to be, you know, to DopeyCon. Look out. You better be there, Jesse, okay? You got me. All right. Right on, man. Thanks again.
2: All right, man. Have a good night. You too. Later.
0: So that was Jesse. Um,. and it was great to have him on. I think that uh, we covered a lot of fucking methadone business and, uh, you know, just classic, dopey, junky business. Now, last week I said we were going to talk about the TV show Euphoria, and, uh, and now we're going to talk about the TV show Euphoria. So I got on my favorite fucking TV film uh addict alcoholic reviewer Devin Ferracci, Welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back. It's my pleasure. And I, I wanted to get somebody with a little bit of brains to talk about this show Euphoria. And and Well De- I'm
4: sorry you were only able to get me. I apologize.
0: So so I mean when I what did you watch it? What did you think?
4: I did, I watched it. I, I binged it when you told me you wanted me to come talk about it. I had started watching it and then I fell off and then I sat down and I binged the whole thing. Um and, uh, you know, it's it's pretty good. See, what
0: I thought about Euphoria, the first thing I thought about it was like, it was just like insane. It was like 90210 on like the craziest drugs on like ecstasy right. and like candy flipping while shooting fentanyl, 90210 kind of thing. <laughs> and I thought it was like super like, I don't know, at first I found it to be very like hot and like sex charged in a, in, a, in a in a hot way. But by the end of it, I kind of felt like Like it was more like about trauma and scary, 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 like repercussions of terrible trauma, which is which is really a a foray into addiction, I think.
4: Yeah, I think that the structure of the season really echoes the structure of addiction. Right. I mean, like where it's like and even in the show, they talk about it like drugs and shit are really fun for a little while. And then it gets really ugly and it gets really unpleasant and it starts bringing up really painful things and painful, repetitive things. And so I think that structure really works for sort of what it's talking about. Um, You know, I think also the other thing, though, is that the show is really at its heart. It's just a soap opera, right? I mean, like, it's... It's like Riverdale, like where's this crazy shit happening? That that main storyline with the jock kid setting up that guy to take the fall for him beating his girlfriend. I mean, that's like such wild soap opera stuff. That is, uh, that's what you, you know. That, that does th- it
0: well. but that that's why it was annoying because they had they basically. Like, in terms of visually and audio-wise, they had this incredibly sophisticated thing going on where the music and the visuals were so hypnotic. And, uh, and I think a lot of, like, the structure... Set it up It opened the viewer up It opened me up to the show Because I love I love that every show Opened with an origin story And I love that It was all of this New trippy music I don't like new music And I love The new music uh, That I heard on Euphoria Uh, Because it was just Powerful Different Music And the visuals were insane and, uh, and, and the, the cinematography was beautiful, but that fucking thing with Nate setting up that kid and all that shit, you, what you think is, you think the show is going to outsmart itself and come from a different point of view, but they just let it happen and they never double back to it, which I thought was a failing.
4: Yeah, I mean, I understand what they're trying to do, which is that here's Nate, the white jock, who knows how to use the system to get what he wants. So it's like sort of metaphorical, but it's like so fucking on the nose. And it's also so soap opera-y and so silly and so over the top that it doesn't quite jibe as well with the rest of the stuff happening on the show. Um, But I do think that the show is so cool looking. What it really reminds me of a lot is um, these old movies they used to make called Hygiene Films. And the idea was that they would show like a live birth or they would show sex or they would show people having drugs – doing drugs and it would be like kind of like crazy stuff to see. And they would present it under an educational banner. So like it would be like, you know, this is the birds and the bees, kids. And then that sort of thing mixed in with classic exploitation reefer madness stuff mixed in with soap operas and then all mixed in with prestige TV. So it has that veneer of like, oh, this is important television that's about the kids today and what they're experiencing. But really, it's like super fucking exploitative and crazy and wild. And um, it does have good stuff to say, but it's all of those things at the same time, which I I think is what I liked about it.
0: I I liked it, you know, like I like to grade things and I would give it like a solid B, you know, and, and, and what it needed, it needed, like it needed to flip itself on its head with that Nate story. You needed Fez to get, um, you know, to get back at Nate. What's the word for that? Comeuppance is the word. Comeuppance is the word. Yeah. You want Nate to get comeuppance or Fez to get comeuppance and you want Fez to do something. You, you want Fez to be able to show himself because that kid is such a good actor. Um, I also think the acting in general was great. I think, I think Zendaya is incredible, man. Huh? Oh, she she was great, and I think her fear like was fucking great. Like you get, yeah. and I think her prudishness was great. And um, but I don't like all the very schmaltzy stuff, like the ending with that dance number. But the music was great. And then she relapses at the end. Spoiler. Sorry for the spoiler. <laughs> but she relapses. And I, I mean, I'm comfortable with the relapse. I feel like the show was a little too vague all over the place. Um, and, and the thing that made it from being uh, the next level of a show, an A, an A minus, a B plus, was that it didn't connect the dots properly for me.
4: Yeah, I don't disagree. I mean, I think that. Um... I I liked watching her struggle because I think seeing people struggle is really important. And the fact that she kept getting back up, even though she kept falling down was really important. So I'm curious to see where season two picks up with her relapsing, but I do. Yeah. I do agree that I think it all came together to this one dance they had at the end, the, to the school dance. And I don't think it really all came together properly as a narrative in those, in those final scenes. And I think that that's part of what they're trying to do. They're trying to say life isn't a, a convenient narrative that's going to have this guy walk into this gym and shoot this guy and end this story. But at the same time, it's also sort of a little frustrating because it is operating on a soap opera level. So you do want some of that to happen,
0: but you don't, I mean, I understand your point. I have a friend, my friend, Brad, like all he wants to do is make sure TV shows aren't soap operas, but like you have like a good show like breaking bad or the wire isn't a soap opera. And, And I think euphoria could tread into that territory. They just needed to get a little bit smarter with structure and characters and have some characters do things that they weren't expecting them to do. Like, Nate could have done stuff that you didn't expect him to do. He could have been different. You know, he could have actually fallen for jewels in that
4: situation. They're- yeah. I was disappointed. I really wanted him to actually f- be falling for Jules. I mean, maybe he is, maybe we'll see in season two, but I really wanted to get a more of a sense that he was legitimately struggling with a thing.
0: They're not showing that though, but I do think that they did really show. Um, it felt like I-, I watched that, the finale on the train coming home yesterday and I kind of felt like I was tripping. Like when I got off the train, I felt like I was high. Um, I felt totally altered. So I think they do yeah. a good
4: job with that. And like they do really, they do a really good job with portraying drug use. I think, um, which is very rare in TV and movies. But it felt like legit. Some of the some of the drug scenes in, in the show and the way that people behave and act and the way they depict it felt very realistic to me.
0: And I loved, I loved cat. Uh, I loved Kat. I think the acting was, was really, really good. And I love... The acting um, is great. I think Jules is incredible. Um, Kat I didn't, is incredible. I didn't realize that she was actually trans. Like, it took mm-hmm. five episodes and it took my friend Sam telling me she was trans to know it. I had no... I didn't figure it out. Like, I was, like, fucking retarded. I didn't figure yeah, it out. Yeah, I
4: think... I think that's really incredible. And I think it's really great to sort of see more trans actors showing up, uh, because the more trans actors show up, the more trans actors we can have in other things. I mean, that's so that's really cool. Um, but Kat's incredible. I think that that actress is a model. Um, and she's, she's amazing. Um, she has so many of her scenes are herself alone and she just does such a great job. She was great. And I, I, I
0: think, um, You know, I think they go down roads and then they don't want to really go down the road like with uh, with McKay and stuff or the twins or all that shit. But I thought I thought for the most part, you know, I think it's probably very triggering for drug addicts, but I think uh, it's also great TV for a drug addict. You know, it's a lot of fun. And I know a lot of people in the Dopey Nation love it.
4: And yeah, um, I think the other thing I think it's great, though, also is the way that it ties all these trauma, not just to drug addiction, but to all the different addictions that we all suffer from. You know what I mean? Because it isn't just drug addiction. There's, you know, there's relational addictions, there's sex addictions, there's TV addictions. There's all these different ways we try to plug these fucking holes beyond the chemicals. And I think the show does a really good job of connecting those dots, how all these different traumas feed into those different kinds of ways that we're trying to numb the pain, not just chemical ways.
0: Right. I mean, it also just shows like, it's not a
4: good time. You know what I mean? Like high That's school- the other part. Yeah. It's like drugs. Like again, there's that one episode where Zendaya has that monologue where it's like, it's really fun for a minute and then it's not fun anymore. And I think that does a, a really good job of not glamorizing the drug stuff. Well, not only that, the sex stuff, you know, the sex stuff too. Right. It makes it really awkward and painful and weird. Yeah.
0: I mean, like Nate's dad. I mean, I thought they would delve more into, I mean, they, they have a lot of fertile ground that they could really delve into a little bit more. And, uh, like, and I, I, mean, hopefully season two will, uh, if they fucking get a couple more like people in, I think Sam Levinson is a genius, but I think he needs a little help to make it that next level fucking thing.
4: Yeah. I think he can't, he, yeah, he did so much this season. I think he needs to bring in some other voices for next season.
0: But I want Sam Levinson to come on Dopey, and I hope this review doesn't, doesn't preclude, make him not
4: want to come on. What do you think? you think we're, we're mostly positive, right? I think this is very positive. I think that we recognize you know, a lot of what he's going for, and I think that we recognize also not just that, but just how well-made the show is, which is like really a total uh, a victory in and of itself. Um, the show's cool-looking. It's really fucking well-made. I mean, cinematically, every episode, there was something that I was super impressed with.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful show. They just need a couple fucking tightening up things to make it that next level. But Devin, I love having a real fucking reviewer come on thank the you, old sir. dopey show and make it happen. So thank you so much. And um Thank you. Fucking hell, be in touch, man. All right, I'll talk to you soon. Right on, man. Thank you. So there was the big Euphoria review with a uh, sober TV and film reviewer Devin Faraci. Um, I thought that was cool. I also wanted to talk a little bit about fucking Stranger Things Season 3. I haven't finished it yet, but I have to say it kind of fucking sucks. I mean, they do so many stupid fucking schmaltzy fucking over-the-top things. I don't know how people think it's good. Linda watched the end of it, and she said it got much better. But, uh... If you guys want to start talking about Stranger Things third season and you don't think it's too schmaltzy, I'd like to hear from you at DopeyPodcast at gmail.com. You feel free. And now we are at the end of the show, the time we do the Dopey Business. This is the Dopey Business portion of the show, and I'd like to read an email. It's not a particularly dopey story, but it is from our most prominent woman fan of color. Her name is Adira. She says, Dave... As your resident African-American devout dopey listener, I had to let you know how the use of the word wigger made me feel. So here's our most favorite woman of color listener, Adira, dropping science on the word wigger.
5: Hey Dave, it's Adira, black girl extraordinaire from Michigan. Played my email or my voicemail, I don't know, a couple months back, um, as it pertained to white privilege and... The show having mainly of a, a white audience or whatever, and I called, and you played my voicemail, and I still feel like a celebrity because of that. Um, in any event, I still love your podcast, still love you, I still love what you're doing. I did, however, want to comment on your use of the word "wigger." It was uh, I don't know maybe about a podcast ago, one ninety six. It was when you talked to Ray and your friend Sam, and it was a great podcast. And you were describing this character named John that Sam and you knew, and you used the term "wigger." And you did say you were using it to describe his character, and uh, that he, you know, dressed and acted a certain way. And I just, and I knew what you meant by that, and I knew how you were trying to use it. I just wanted to let you know, however, because uh, if we don't have these conversations and talk about things like that, we never know that the term "wigger" is extremely offensive. To most African-Americans, maybe not all, but to me it definitely is. And I want to just give you a quick reason why, because I know you were, never, you were not using it with any malice whatsoever. However, when you say wigger, it does a few things for me. First of all, you were talking about this guy, John, who apparently listened to 50 Cent, you said, wore baseball jerseys, or I'm sorry, basketball jerseys and T-shirts, and was extremely disrespectful to women. And to me, it's offensive. And so you call that person a wigger. Uh, and what that implies is that, number one, uh, that a black person is a nigger. And uh, anyone acting as if they are black is a wigger. And it's a bit offensive, if you know what I'm saying. It also makes the implication that for somebody to listen to hip hop and talk like they're a uh, you know, a rap star or whatever you want to call it and dress a certain way listen to certain music and, and treat women a certain way that that is indicative of being a black person also known as a nigger and it's just offensive and I know you did not mean to use it in that way but I just kind of wanted to give you some insight on that because it made me uncomfortable, I'm not going to lie and what I love about you is that you do seem to care about what the fans and people that listen to this podcast think You know, I don't think you should put too much stock into the haters and people that tell you you're a dick and they're assholes. Uh, And so I wanted to just tell you that in a loving way. uh, In a way that, you know, maybe you would see it a different way from from a black person's perspective. That, you know, blacks don't uh, all act the same way. Somebody listening to hip-hop and behaving like an idiot is not characteristic of just a black person, and so when you say wigger, I don't know if that makes sense to you. Do you see what I'm saying? The implication there is that, you know, a black person or a white person acting as if they were black, quote-unquote, would be a wigger, and it also, you know, again, implies that there's a specific way that black people act, and the way that they act was how he was acting, you know, so... Uh, I don't know I just wanted to give you A little bit of that To chew on And I think you'll be Pretty receptive to it You know It's only because I'm not high And I work a program And I'm a, a lot less Of a lunatic That I was even able To articulate this to you In a way that wasn't like Shitty And bitchy And you know Militant Um You know And I feel like you know When you tell people Things like that Uh In the way You know When you tell them In a kind way That they're more You know More apt to receive it Um as constructive criticism Anyhow I still listen to you every week I still love you I still love the podcast And I hope this doesn't annoy you And I hope that you I don't know Maybe learn a little something from it um, I don't know man Keep doing what you're doing Thanks bye Thank
0: you Adira for sending that in um, I really like that voicemail I like uh, how sober it is And I like that it's um I think it's important for people who listen to the show, if they hear something they don't like, to say something and say why they don't like it. You know, I I was talking about this dude, John, uh, with Sam, and he was a dude from my past that we'd drive around listening to 50 Cent, and he would scream, let me hit that, at um, women who walk by, and at the time, and even to this day, I thought it was really funny. And when I described John, I said he had a certain wigger charm and um, And I thought I was being funny and uh, and in a bubble in a, a world away from anybody else in my head it 's funny. But when I hear adira 's point, you know I certainly don 't want to hurt adira i don 't want to hurt anybody with language just because I think it 's funny, so I will remove uh, the word from my lexicon. it is gone. And uh, and I want to thank you. And I also just love the way Adira like laid it down in terms of her recovery, that she could have been nasty, but instead she wanted to find common ground and she wanted to explain where she was coming from. I don't feel a need to explain where I was coming from because I was just trying to be funny, but I definitely don't want to be funny and hurt anybody like that. So I'm sorry, Adira, and thank you for sending it in. I'm sorry for anything I might have said that offended anybody in the past, and I am sorry, If I say anything in the future that might bother anybody, because I'm sure that could happen. Now, before we go, I would like to, uh, as Chris always would say, hit you guys with a little dopey. And here is an email I just got. It's from Jennifer, and she writes, Hi, Dave. Hope you and the fam are well. I loved the Remembering Chris episode, even though it was heartbreaking to listen to. I've binged on Dopey over the past few months, and it wasn't until a week or two ago I was lying in bed, and it truly hit me that he was gone. Like, forever gone. I can't imagine how you must feel. He was an amazing, kind, hilarious, wonderful weirdo, and I identify with him so much. I really miss hearing you two crack up together. Your dynamic and friendship was just wonderful. I know some people on Reddit are giving you flack, saying the show was better with Chris, blah blah, but please don't let that get to you. I didn't know Chris personally, but I'm a hundred percent sure he would want you to keep going and carry the message like you've mentioned uh like you've mentioned. Maybe the one positive thing with his passing it's that it makes it more real to the rest of us just how fucking deadly this addiction shit is. And you're doing a fantastic job on your own. I hope you know that. So I thought I'd share another dopey story. In 12-step addiction circles, I guess you would call me a chronic relapser and a trash can junkie garbage head. Basically, I love all drugs as long as they are in front of me. I've always preferred downers, but I'm not picky. My first round of rehab was as a teen, but somehow I was able to stop and got a good chunk of clean time. Anyway, in my second really bad round of addiction, I was working as a social worker in this lockdown psych ward. Before I started the job, I had started smoking weed again, then got a Xanax prescription for my anxiety, and then, after breaking my ankle, I got the taste for opiates. Of course, I didn't tell the doctors about my addiction history so I could get as many pills as possible. Anyway, while working on this unit, I was pretty high— uh, I was pretty high. Much I was high pretty much every day at work. I would roll a joint on my way to the job, pop a bunch of clonopin, take some perks, add a five-hour energy shot, and sail throughout my day. I would occasionally do coke in the bathroom if I got too sleepy. Funnily enough, I did really well at that job, and since I was high every day, no one knew what I looked or acted like when I was sober. Unfortunately, one day I left my little bag that had my coke in it in the employee bathroom. My supervisor found it, and somehow or other I convinced her that it was actually just crushed up clonopins that I had been prescribed, and I explained that I crushed it up because my doctor told me it would work better. For whatever goddamn reason, she believed me and gave it back to me. I think it's because they were in such a bad position, lots of employee turnover, whatever, and I was such a good worker, uh, she believed it, or at least was willing to look the other way. Needless to say, after that, I started formulating my exit plan, since clearly they were on to me, and eventually I put in my notice. So I'm out of work for two or three months, as the job market in 2009 was no bueno. During those months, my opiate addiction really kicked in, and I finally realized that I am royally fucked, getting sick every day, etc., despite that I'm applying to all these jobs and somehow land the job of my dreams at this hospital— I nailed the interview, probably because I was a little manic and extremely enthusiastic. And I'm an addict, so I can talk a good game. I get my start date. The night before my start date, I realize I am fucked because I couldn't get my hands on enough pills not to get sick. However, I have plenty of Soma, Advan, and two or three 10-milligram Vicodin. I decide if I take them all, I should be able to avoid getting sick and will be fine for my first day of work. So I take them, and the last thing I remember is vacuuming my house. Because for some reason, when I got high, I try to get things accomplished that I don't like doing sober. The next thing I remember is paramedics in my living room and seeing lights flashing outside. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing here? They're like, ma'am, it appears you've had an overdose. You need to come to the hospital with us. I'm like, fuck that. No way. Making a big fucking scene and embarrassing myself, which is par for the course at this point. They, reiter- they reiterate that I have to go and basically drag me to the stretcher. I say fine, but I need my cigarettes or I'm not going anywhere. Meanwhile, all my neighbors are outside looking at me like I'm a crazy person, which I am. It was like an episode of Cops. They give me my cigarettes and then I black out again and wake up the next day in the hospital. My partner is there with me, all worried, and I feel like shit. I immediately want a cigarette. They tell me I can't go outside. I go out anyway with my IV drip but wind up falling over in front of a whole bunch of people after the first two drags because the Soma-Ativan-Vicodin combo is still in my blood and I'm all loosey-goosey. I have to go back into the hospital in a wheelchair. Eventually, I say what I need to say and get just discharged. I call my new job and explain I had food poisoning and then I can start the next day. When I get home, I pop some more pills and smoke and fall asleep. And on my way to work on the first day, I wind up getting in a car accident because I'm still so fucked up from the drugs in my system. Luckily, I was able to pretend to be normal and didn't get a DUI. Long story short, I lose the new job because they quickly caught on that I'm a horrible drug addict, and that was that. good part is I'm nine months clean now, ten years later, LOL. Stay strong, Dopey Nation, and toodles for Chris. And that is from Jen. Thank you, Jen. I love that email. Um, I love the end of it. I love that I'm nine months clean ten years later. I think that really tells – it just tells – that's the story of addiction for me. And all the other stuff I like, I like too. I appreciate that. Anybody send in a dopey voicemail. I have a ton of dopey voicemails. Send more. Next week is the 200th episode of Dopey, a.k.a. Christmas – And I really, really, really want you guys to be a part of it. So please send in super short voicemails. You know, happy 200th, Merry Christmas. Just kind of like what Dopey means to you in a short, like, 5 to 30 second voicemail so I can play a ton of them. We love it when you guys are a part of the show. This is the way to do it. Um, If not, follow us on Reddit, follow us on Instagram, follow us on Twitter, leave a review for my dad And stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris, who we miss.